dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? Monday, let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or savor the bottle, and let's begin exploring the wine glass. Before I get into the podcast, I wanted to let you know that Apple had a podcast update. This caused an issue with the automatic downloads. If you are not receiving Exploring the Wine Glass podcast in your next up feed, it is because the settings have changed. Please go to Library, then Shows, and click Exploring the Wine Glass. If you don't see a check mark in the top right corner next to the three dots, the system does not download automatically. Please click on the down arrow and turn on automatic downloads. This will put a check mark next to the three dots. This will allow you to always know when a new episode drops. Sorry for the inconvenience and thank you so much for following Exploring the Wine Glass. Today on the podcast, we return to Wine for Bed Street, where the letter of the day is P and it stands for Petite Mamsang. This is a new-to-me grape variety. I have heard of the grape, but had never had the opportunity to taste it. So I was excited to learn all about the variety from Lee Hartman of Bluestone Vineyards in Virginia. If you listen to a lot of podcasts, you know that many ask for Patreon. We do not plan on doing this, but we do ask you to support the podcast by leaving a review. It takes only a few seconds of your time, but means so much to the show. The next best way to support Exploring the Wine Glass is to tell your friends. If you enjoy the podcast, your wine-loving friends will too. Finally, don't forget to head to the website, exploringthewineglass.com, to read the blog and to sign up for the newsletter so you can keep up on all the happenings. Slancha! You are so special, even in the Bible. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, Spanish wine scholar, Day service, champagne and Cote de Ron specialist, and a WSET level 2 graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. Stay in the know about all things wine by visiting my website, exploringthewineglass.com. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome everybody to Wine for Bet Street. Today we are talking uh, the letter P and it is Petite Mansang, which I probably completely said incorrectly because, you know, we have that E without the E, you know, and we're going to get into that conversation too, the difference between Petite and Petite. And um, so we are here for those of you who uh, are new, I am Lori. I am your co-host here at Wine for Bet Street. And uh, I am a WSET level two, a Spanish wine scholar, a champagne specialist, Cote de Aron, and I own a winery in Paso where we focus in on uh, Cabernet Franc. And very, very excited because my dream finally came true. And I did get to process a whole half ton of Cabernet Franc to make the Blanc de Franc that I have been trying to do for years. But today we are talking Petite Mensang and with my co-host, Debbie. Hi, everybody. Um, Welcome. I'm Debbie Giaquindo. I'm a certified uh, specialist of wine, a wine location specialist in port and champagne, and a certified uh, sherry wine specialist. 
I am known as the Hudson Valley Wine Goddess. I'm a blogger and wine educator. Um, I'm chairman of, or chairman, chairwoman of the Hudson Valley uh, Wine and Spirits uh, competition. I've been doing that for, uh, God, over over 14 years. This year will be 14 <laughs> years, I think. That's a long time. And I'm partner in a restaurant in North Wildwood, New Jersey called Trio North Wildwood. And that's where you can find me all summer long, hostess with the mostest. <laughs> And um, with us is uh, Lee Hartman, and um, Lee is from Bluestone Vineyards in um, Virginia, and he is going to talk to us all about Petit Mansing. But first, Lee, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, hi, hi everybody. Thanks for having me today. It's really great to be here uh, and uh, glad to be on, on the program. Um, my name is Lee Hartman. I'm the winemaker at Bluestone Vineyard. Uh, I've been um, uh, working this vineyard since we started it back uh, in 2008. Uh, it's a family farm. Um, so, um, so I've been here uh, since 2008, about 16 years. I've uh, been the uh, winemaker since 2010. And um, yeah, very excited uh, to, to be working in the industry. Um, uh, and here in the Shenandoah Valley, I'm the wine trail president uh, for the Shenandoah Valley Wine Trail. And I also own a wine bar called Rootstock Wine Bar. Nice name. Oh, I nice. like it. I like it. All right. Before we get into uh, Petit Matsang, if we, we've got Elmo here. So we're going to start our little intro. Welcome, and thanks so much for joining us today. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the history and the vineyard and the vision of Bluestone Vineyards? Sure. So my, my parents uh, had um, what I would call a hobby vineyard or a garden vineyard uh, with some friends. Um, it was, you know, a row of this and a row of something else and then another thing. And none of it together really made a whole lot of sense. It was, you know... Cabernet Sauvignon next to Chardonnay, next to uh, Cayuga, next to, um, uh, you know, all, all sorts of stuff. And uh, after doing that for several years, you know, they, they, were, they were making wine in the garage. Uh, they, they got the idea of, yeah, we know what we're doing. We should plant 10,000 of them. So, so that, that got started right at the same time that I was graduating from college. I had a, a degree in history and um, uh I, I, I used to live in Europe. I wanted to move back to Europe. I thought I might actually use my degree. And uh, they were very supportive of that. They said, until you line something up, why don't you help us start planting uh, vines in the ground? And so uh, I had that, that uh, kind of aha moment that's kind of a cliche amongst winemakers that, uh, you know, you start to realize that this bottle is just a bunch of dirt and water and sunlight. And I think that's the wildest thing ever. And I still do. And so, um, so this has become, uh, what, what I'm going to do and until, uh, until I retire. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> yeah, we, we, uh, we are, uh, in the central Shenandoah Valley. So we are at a higher elevation than a lot of the States. Um, 
the, the valley enjoys um, some protection on both sides from the Allegheny Mountains and the Blue Ridge Mountains. And so because of that, we are uh, one of the driest parts of the state. We're one of the driest wine regions on the East Coast. Um, uh, we have cooler evenings. So uh, when we are ripening our fruit, it still retains some really good fresh acidity, uh, which we'll talk about here more in a bit. And, uh, uh, and that helps with things like aging potential and also uh, with food friendliness. Um, but yeah, very, very proud Virginia winemaker. Very, very excited to be here in the Shenandoah Valley. It's where we call home. Awesome. I might be down there this year. Oh, let me know. Probably yeah, not until awesome. fall. Probably into September, but yeah. I, I might be busy in September, but uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll let me know. That, I'll, come awesome. I'll come out and help. I'll come out and help. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> so we know that, uh, or, you know, if, I don't know how far west it went, but growing up on the East Coast, all we ever heard growing up was Virginia is for lovers. Um, yeah. But now it's really becoming known for wine lovers, too. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, Virginia really is starting to make a name for itself in terms of a wine destination. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a, a real growing industry. It took a really big uh, growth um, about about 10 years ago. It, it grew uh, a lot. Um, and uh, just recently, it seems like we've had more and more starting to open up again, which is exciting. We're, we're now closer to 400 than 300 uh, wineries. Uh, wow. I think we were winery number 191 or something. And uh, about the wow. time we opened up, so did a ton of others. Um, uh, yeah, uh, Monticello, which is just on the other side of the uh, Blue Ridge Mountains, uh, that wine region was just named um, Wine Region of the Year by wine enthusiasts. So um, we're all very proud of, of them uh, here in the state. And uh, yeah, we're, we're also starting to not only uh, have an identity as, as, a, as a state, but we're also um, starting to get some recognition um, uh, farther out for uh, different wine regions within the state. So there's Monticello, um, which um, is, is going to be a bit hotter and uh, they grow bigger, more muscular reds than we do. Here in the Valley, we we're able to do things like uh, Riesling and other really nice um, um, higher acid varietals, um, things that maybe aren't so muscular and brawny, although you know, we, we still make some pretty awesome Petit Mens, uh, Petit Verdots and Merlots, Cab Francs. Um, and then up in Northern Virginia, they're doing some really great stuff there uh, right outside of DC. And, and even uh, on the eastern shore of the Chesapeake, all the way down to the North Carolina border, people are doing really interesting stuff. And it's not just all Virginia wine, even though we have that identity, we all have, um, you know, uh, uh, local microclimates and terroirs that we're, we're able to work with. Well, Michael was saying here um, that there were seven Cabernet Francs from Virginia that were entered in his fifth annual Cap Franc wine uh, competition this year. Oh, cool. So that's, that's really, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, um, and, and, and which, which competition is that? It's a, um, it's a competition. Um, Michael or has around Cab Franc day, which oh. Lori started. Um, awesome. and you know, there were seven Virginia Cab Franc centers. So that's, that's good. pretty historical. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, yeah. we, we make some really good ones. I think if you, uh, if you asked, asked around and, and I'm going to, I'm going to get emails about, about saying this probably, but I think if you asked around uh, the state of Virginia, if, if we should have a, 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 um, uh, a state wine grape or a signature grape, uh, I, I would definitely throw uh, Cap Franc into, into that mix. I, I think it's, 
something that most of us are, are growing, most of us are uh, are making into wine. Um, and it, and there's so many cool styles you can make. Um, everything from kind of a nouveau style to uh, really heavy Bordeaux stuff to uh, things that are almost more Pinot-like. Uh, it's just an mm-hmm. awesome grape. I've got three acres of it in my front yard. I love working with that stuff. Yay! But we are here now. I was, this is very, very rare for me to say, okay, we're not going to talk Cab Franc because I will <laughs> talk Cab Franc all day, every day, all the time. But we are here to talk about Petite Mensang. And so tell us what other grape varieties uh, we know that you do the Cab Franc. What other do you grow and how do they relate to Petite Mensang? Like, what, like, how do they relate to each other? Is it, is it a great, uh, great variety for Virginia? Because I listened to a podcast that it's big in Arizona now, Petite Mensang. Petite Mensang? Oh. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I was just listening to another podcast, and it was a, a producer in Arizona. And he, you know, I'm driving, and he's like, oh, yeah, we do a lot of Petite Mensang. And we're like, what? Really? Okay. I don't know. So what, yeah, what about Virginia I, does that? When I think of Virginia, I think Petite Mensang. Only, yeah, you know, so so it, it's it's really found a home here. Uh, we we've been uh, Bluestone has been working with it since 2015 with our first okay. vintage, uh, and I know uh, others have been working with it for years prior to that. Um, it it seems to do well here. The clusters are very loose. It's called Petite Mensang because the berries are really small, just like the berries on Petite Verdot are really small, um, and so so. Um, so when you have those small berries, you often have a looser cluster. And that means that if the berries aren't all uh, so tightly bunched as they can be with some varietals, um, even to the inside of that cluster, it has a, an easier time drying out um, and uh, not having issues with uh, mold or mildew or rot. You know, there's a lot of things that we worry about in the vineyard. We worry about rainfall. We worry about um, wildlife, you know, not only birds and deer, but um you know, we've had almost every mammal outside of an orca whale in our vineyard at some point. Um, and that's, that's, those are things that, that we have to have to deal with all the time. But the number one thing uh, that we worry about every week of the growing season uh, is some sort of a, a fungal problem. Um, so, so when you have these really loose um, clusters with really small berries, it just um, it goes so much farther than than any any kind of spray that, that you'd want to use to fight those, those things. If you're able to think ahead and plant, um, plant a varietal that, that, that can do some of those things on its own, uh, it'll, it'll save you a lot of heartache uh, in the long run. It's, it's also, it's also a very fun grape. You know, we have other varietals that do well here in my front yard. We have, um, Chardonnay, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, um, Chamberson and Petit Mansang. Um, and then here on, on this property, uh, about a half mile down the road, we have have a lot of other stuff too. But um, uh, Petit Man saying it's, it's, you know, almost everywhere has Chardonnay, right? We can't really call ourselves the home of Chardonnay. Uh, I think Sonoma and Burgundy and Napa and, and lots of other places might have a thing or two to say about that. But um, Petit Man saying it's, it's a beautifully aromatic varietal. Um, you don't have to be a wine connoisseur to enjoy it. You know, there's there's a lot of stuff going on, and um, uh, it also it, it can be made into uh, a wide variety of styles um, um, because because of its um, uh, some of its physiological properties. Um, 
um, you know, we can, you can make it into a dessert, you can make it dry wine. Um, it's, it's fun in a blend. And so, so yeah, I, I think it's found a real foothold here, here in Virginia and in all corners. So what kind of approach do you have um, in the vineyards to sustainability and environmental stewardship? So, so just like I was talking about, you know, if, if you plant the correct thing up front, that's, that's the, that's the most important thing you can possibly do. It's, it's better to, uh, you know, kind of that ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure thing. Mm -hmm. If, if you, if you plant something here that doesn't want to do well and is prone to rot and is prone to a lot of these, uh, other issues, um, it's going to be an uphill battle every single year. And you're going to, uh, you're going to end up running the tractor more. You're going to run the sprayer more. You're going to, you know, have, have a lot of those challenges. Um, so, so we, we, we try to think up front, you know, what does this look like in five years? What does it look like in 10 years? Um, you know, once the, once everything is brought in the door, um, uh, there are a lot of small things that, that we do. Um, starting uh, several years ago, we, we canned some wine for the first time. Uh, I think that that is uh, a really important thing. Um, I think I think that canned wine is a lot of fun. You're able to take them backpacking. You can take them to the yeah. beach. You can take them to the pool. But also, they're very easily recyclable, and they don't weigh a lot. You know, glass bottles can mm -hmm. uh, can can weigh as, as much or more than just the the wine itself. So then you're you're shipping uh, not only your product, but, but just a bunch of glass all over the world. And, and that, that, that can also be very problematic. So we, we do cans, we do, uh, kegged wine. We, if you would like, you can buy a one, uh, uh, one-time purchase of a growler and come to our tasting yeah. room and fill it up several times. Uh, we, we think that that's important. Um, now in a growler, know. how long does the wine keep? I'm just curious. Like, is it something that, um, like a bottle of wine, you open it mm -hmm. and you probably have whatever, say two day lifespan on it. What, sure. What's the growler? Uh, well, it, it, uh, as with all things, wine and vine, it depends, Okay. you know, uh, but, but I would say you should probably consume it sometime in the next week. You know, okay. th these aren't wines to, to, to put away in the cellar anyway. They're, mm -hmm. they're fun. I think that sometimes uh, our industry puts too much of a premium on, uh, oh, this wine is going to be excellent 15 years from now. It's like, well, that's that's really helpful 15 years from now. But maybe maybe wine can also be delicious today. And so so when we when we fill up those kegs or fill up those cans, they're they're meant for now. And um, a lot of wines that I enjoy are meant for now. So mm -hmm. um, so that's that's also something that we do. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we we also um, uh, we have a. a my, my wine bar in town, um, uh, we, we decided to have a, a more uh, central location. People still come out here and they should. There's something really magical about drinking wine uh, 100 feet from where it was grown. Mm -hmm. um, but also, you know, there's something nice about um, uh, getting some of that traffic just to stay closer into town. So it doesn't uh, uh, a little bit less less of uh, uh, traffic problems with with the environment. Wonderful. So do we know um, where, like what, where uh, Petite Mensang originated from? Uh, is it related to Gross Mensang? And, you know, what are similarities, differences? Yeah, so I, I believe it is, it is a mutation of Gros Mensang. And uh, so as the name would, would imply, the, the berries are a little bit smaller. Um, often when you have smaller berries, you'll also have more concentration of, of flavors, 
Um, and uh, if you're working with something like Petit Verdot, um, because you have these really small berries, the ratio of skin to, uh, to juice is really, really great. And so because of that, you're able to make this really dark, concentrated style wine. Similarly with Petit Mansang, um, you will have lots and lots of uh, skin per volume. Um, and and there, there are also um, very concentrated uh, flavors there as well. When we, when we process our, our petite men saying, um, we actually, um, over the last several years, we've kind of changed up how we process it. But, um, you know, these really small berries don't want to let out a lot of juice. So, so it used to be, because it's such an aromatic varietal, we thought we'd kind of lean into that. And we would crush in the stem and leave it on the, uh, uh, on the skins for, for several hours and extract as much uh, aromatics and as much texture as we could before pressing. Uh, as it turned out, uh, that, that, that's not a, a bad thing. And some people like that style a lot. Um, but we ended up whole cluster pressing it for a number of years um, just to make the juice as clean as possible, make sure that we weren't um, over extracting. Uh, my friend Joy Ting talks about how there's kind of a, a pina colada characteristic to, to this wine sometimes when it, it almost gets to a, a, a comical level of aromatics and, um, and, and richness. So, so, um, and, and we, we were trying to avoid that. We wanted something that um, had some subtlety and had some, some real character uh, outside of just this very loud, um, uh, he heavy amount of, of coconut and uh, uh, pineapple uh stuff in your glass. Um, so when you do that, then you, you, uh, when you whole cluster press, you get much less juice. So now what we do is we distem, but we don't crush and we load that into the press. It gives us more volume, but it also, um, uh, doesn't, doesn't have such heavy extraction. Very interesting. interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think leading into next, um, we should maybe taste a little bit. Oh, sure. Um, and, um, I don't have one of your petite man things because you couldn't ship it to me because of the stupid laws regarding shipping. But I talk to your state representatives. Oh, please! I'm not. I'm <laughs> All not the time. from New Jersey, so I really <laughs> I have a hard time with New Jersey on a lot of issues. I'm from New York, but but um, fun fact for you, I uh, you know it's I've always said it's a lot of people don't know who their representative is. I think it's important for your representative to know who you are. And for my representative, I, I, uh, I manage a vineyard for him. So oh, you? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, oh God, it's very, very helpful. But uh, I in I'm in his yard every week. <laughs> <laughs> but I did visit the uh, Northern Virginia wine region in September. Yeah. And I have, I have a Fabellini. Yeah. Fab, 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 Fabioli. Fabioli. Yep. Uh, petite men saying that I have bought the purchase there. Um, yeah. But please show everybody your bottle. Yeah, Doug makes great stuff. I'm, I'm glad to, to have him here on the show. So this is uh, our Petite Men Sang. Uh, this is our current vintage um, of 2021. Um, so so, so with this current, I'm sorry? Yeah, I just was saying 2021. So I have, I have a 2022. Okay. So, yep. so, so we, um, so interesting thing about Petit Men saying these tiny concentrated berries with packed full of flavor. They're also uh, packed full of two other things that are important in winemaking, uh, and that is sugar and acid. 
So here on the East Coast, sometimes we have a, a really hard time um, getting our, our grapes fully ripe. And, and so sometimes um, uh, a little bit of additional sugar might be needed to get an appropriate level of alcohol. And sometimes uh, when we do get our grapes ripe enough, uh, we need to uh, use some tartaric acid to try to make sure that it's not, it's not flat. It still has a bit of a backbone to it uh, and it drinks well and it ages well. It goes well with food. Uh, Petit Mensang every single year has more sugar and more acid than any other varietal that we work with. So, so sometimes, um, you know, when, where our Chardonnay might have trouble getting, uh, above 20 or 21 or 22 bricks and bricks is a way of, uh, saying percent residual sugar, roughly, um, Petit Mensang, we have to pick it before it gets too ripe. Um, this stuff, uh, uh, comes in at 13.9% uh, alcohol and it still has 2% residual sugar to it. Wow. So, so oh, wow. um, uh, sometimes because of the amount of sugar, uh, now remember yeast eat sugar and they produce carbon dioxide and alcohol. Uh, and because of the amount of acid that is in the juice, sometimes the yeast just say, yes. nope, I'm done. Uh, we give up. Uh, and then there's some residual sugar. One of, the, one of the nice things about that, even if you're sugar averse, like I am, uh, I, I'm, I'm not real big on sweet wines, uh, mm -hmm. particularly in this, you know, two to three percent ballpark. Um, I do love a good dessert wine. Um, there's so much acid here that it really helps bring some balance to mm -hmm. the wine. If you think about um, if you think about wine balance, uh, and this is true for food, generally speaking, uh, like a seesaw. And on one side, you have uh, the body of the wine. Uh, how rich is it? How sweet is it? And then on the other side, you have the structure of the wine uh, plus uh, acid. So if, if something is tasting too acidic, maybe by adding a little bit of sugar to it, you can, mm -hmm. you can bring some balance. And maybe, maybe you don't want to add sugar. And I don't want to add sugar to a lot of my wines. So maybe what you do is you use oak. And oak has a a certain level of sweetness to it, even if it's mm -hmm. not adding sugar. Um, or maybe what you do instead of adding something to this side is you you um, subtract some acid on this side. So maybe your wine goes through a malolactic fermentation. Uh, so maybe that malic acid is changed to a, a weaker acid like lactic acid, and that, that helps bring balance. So so this wine is a challenge every year because of, of having so much acidity and so much sugar. Um, and at the same time, it, it almost kind of finds itself. Um, uh, now, that being said, this is the sweetest Petit Mensang I've ever made. It's at 2.1% residual sugar. Uh, the year after it, if, if you are into um, uh, a drier style wine, uh, that one is 0.0% uh, sugar. It is bone dry. It is closer to 15% alcohol. It is a monster of a wine. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, we, we also, we, we didn't filter it. It is, it is meant for a very particular kind of uh, wine drinker, somebody who just loves some screaming acid. Um, the best one that, that we've ever made was from 2019. Um, where it was at 0.8% residual sugar. So it's, it's level of sweetness. You wouldn't taste the sweetness at all um, if you were just enjoying a glass, but if you had it in a lineup of other dry wines, then it would, it would stand mm -hmm. out to you a bit more. Um, there's this really, really well-balanced wine. 
and um, uh, sometimes the, the wine finds finds where it needs to be. So, what is the aromatic profile of it? Like, I get I get some tropical I get tropical fruits in, in this for one. sure. Yeah, you know. yeah, definitely kind of that pina colada character, a lot of pineapple. Well, mm -hmm. um, we we do um, to try to to work with that. Um, with that acidity, uh, we uh, and and with this aromatic profile, we we barrel ferment all of our uh, petite mansang, so uh, that helps bring a little bit of weight to the equation, mm -hmm. uh, and it also helps kind of frame um, some things nicely. I think um, you, you've got you you have those tropical notes of pineapple mm -hmm. and um, uh, other uh, exotic fruits. Um, some stone fruit in there, yeah. uh, yes. but then but because of the barrels, you're also able to get a little bit of that oak. Um, uh, I think some of the vanilla and also uh, coconut characteristic. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how this is done, and I can't find the alcohol percentage on it. But there, I'll look later and, and stuff. But it does have a sweetness to it, like. Um, but then it's got the acidity on the finish. That's just like zinging you. That's that's yeah. one of the reasons we stopped uh, crushing into stemming and letting it soak on the skins. You know, it's a great way to extract some really cool character and to give mm -hmm. some texture. But Petit Mansang can't help but be the most aromatic and biggest white wine in your portfolio. It can't help itself. So we don't need to push it even further in that in that direction. Um, although uh, a couple of years ago, uh, we, 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 we took it way, way far in that direction. And uh, we made one barrel of uh, what's known as an orange wine or a skin mm -hmm. contacts. Mm -hmm. Uh, white wine. Uh, so we left it on the skins for three weeks. And wow. um, so, so if you drink it, uh, it, 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 it comes across your palate like a red wine would because uh, it was soaked on the skins and, mm -hmm. um, uh, and with the seeds, uh, which were fully ripened. And, uh, but it still has those aromatics, uh, very, very intense um, tropical fruit, particularly. That must have been interesting. It's a very interesting wine. Yeah. It is not an everyday wine, but it is a really interesting yeah. wine. I, <laughs> I, I enjoy it a lot. Uh, if that's something of interest to you, we, we do still have about five cases left. Well, if I get down there in September, maybe. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's 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 part of our our uh, vineyard site series, which is um, my my family allows me uh, one or two wines a year where I get to do like experimental batches there and stuff. Nice. Um, yeah, it's it's always fun. When, when you're a winemaker, you get one chance to do this mm -hmm. every year. So yep. like, don't mess it up. But, <laughs> yeah. it, but, it, but at the same time, you still like, you, you want to get better at this and you want to try new mm -hmm. things. And so sometimes mm -hmm. you have to carve out a little corner of the winery to, to, yep. to have mm -hmm. fun and, and do, do interesting stuff. Absolutely. And so what type of environment does uh, Petit Mensang enjoy? Like what soil does it like, climate, what's its water needs? What What is it looking for in the vineyard? So we, um, uh, as I said, I got started here uh, in 2008. Uh, this hill was pretty much completely blank uh, and we've, we've filled it in since then. Um, unless something goes horribly wrong, uh, this is the only winery I've ever worked at. And it's also the only winery I probably will ever work at. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> Christmas is going to be weird that year if I'm not working here anymore. Um, <laughs> but, but we, um, so we planted our Petit Mensang, uh, in 2019, 2020, I think. 
uh, and it seems to do really well here. We we are called Bluestone because uh, it's a, a local nickname for limestone. And so our, our place is just chock full of it. If you look at, especially here on the, the south and the western side of this hill in particular, um, if you look at all of our posts in the wintertime when there's no vegetation uh, in the canopy, just no two posts go in the same direction. They're all, they're all <laughs> a little bit off. Um, and that's because there are, there are pieces of limestone in our hill that are the size of softballs and the size of Volkswagens. I mean, they're, um, it's, it was a real challenge getting, getting everything in. But because of that, we have really well-drained soils. Um, um, and and it is, we, we get a half a foot less rain on this side of the mountain than they do on the other side of the mountain. So, so while, while it is drier here, and we had a, a, a pretty severe drought in 2023 that lasted a, a couple of months, um, particularly during ripening season. So it was a challenge. Um, but our, our wine that came out of it is delicious. Uh, the vines didn't seem to struggle. Um, and on, on the other side of the mountain where they do get some, some more rain, uh, it seems to do really well there too. And now a word from our sponsor. Did you know that Dracina Wines has a wine club? We named it the Chalk Club. Draco is on our label, but Vegas was getting a bit jealous, so we decided he deserved to be our wine club's bookstog. In Las Vegas, betting chalk means that you are betting on all of the favorites, and we're gambling that once you taste our wines, we will become one of your favorite wineries. The club is simple, yet a bit different than most. We don't ask for a lot of commitment like others do. Choose between three tiers, the Sweet 16, where you will receive three bottles twice a year and get 15% off all orders. Sign up for the Elite Eight and get 20% off all orders and receive four bottles twice a year, or make it to the Final Four and receive six bottles twice a year, as well as receiving 25% off purchases. All tiers receive discounted shipping, are customizable, and are eligible for unlimited referral bonuses. Add $15 to the bank for each person you refer. Head to www.dracinowines.com to use the link in the show notes to find out all the Chalk Club has to offer and to sign up. We've stopped the odds so that you can get our award-winning wines without breaking the bank. Yeah, I, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know that I would want to plant it in a place that is, um, that is too, um, that, that, that retains too much water. Uh, I, I wouldn't advise you to plant any kind of no vineyard. clay, no clay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, like, yeah, we, we haven't we haven't had to to deal with that so much here. But but also, um, uh, you know, here in the valley, we we do brag a, a bit about how dry and how cool it is, and and that that does a lot of really wonderful things for us. But it is a double edged sword for sure. Um, we. Uh, sometimes it gets too cold here in the valley and uh, two varietals that do really well for us up here um, at Bluestone, I wouldn't recommend you plant everywhere in the valley uh, because they are uh, a little bit more sensitive to, to, to extreme colds are Merlot and uh, Petit Mensang. Oh, okay. Yeah. There are some sites here in the valley. It does awesome. And there are a lot of sites on the other side of the mountain that also really seems to thrive. But, but that is a consideration to make sure. And so because of that, it is at the very top of our hill uh, where there's no, no possibility for cold air to really pool. You know, where, where I'm looking now, we, we have our Vidal Blanc planted. And Vidal Blanc is a hybrid uh, of Trebbiano, which is grown in Italy. It's the same uh, grape that in France is called Uni Blanc. 
and mm -hmm. that is used in cognac production. <laughs> but here in North America, uh, Vidal is the, the biggest um, uh, grape that is used for ice wine in Ontario mm -hmm. and in um, and in New York. So mm -hmm. uh, when when we were looking at a place that or looking for some grapes that would do well uh, in a cold spot. Uh, we thought, well, if they can grow this in Canada, we'll be okay. <laughs> um, Petit Mansang, on the other hand, we would that would not be a good uh, it would not be a good plant to put there. So we put it at the very crest of the hill, sits at fourteen hundred feet elevation, and uh, uh, so yeah, no, no no cold pockets there, no uh, no no pockets for uh, for water to to sit either. Great. Um, as Lori was talking earlier about petite versus petite, petite versus petite. <laughs> um, uh -huh. Uh, with an E, without an E, do you see any confusion with that? Like, you know, with Petit Verdot, Petit Syrah? Sure. I've only ever heard Petit okay. um, for, for okay. Verdot and for, for Petit Mensang. Yeah. Um, now, but uh, without the E. Right. Uh, that, that's correct. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, now, I, uh, I, I will tell you that I... Um, you know, of the regrets in life, I probably should have paid more attention in French class in high school. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, I lived in Germany, so my German is much better than my French. And that is to say, it's still not very good. Um, but but anyway, um, uh, yeah, I, I've, I've always heard petite. Is there any, do, do you know why some have the E, some don't? Like, what, is it where it's coming from? What, like? I, I would, I would I imagine it would. It's a confusing it would, thing. I sure. I, I think it, it does confuse a lot of people who, who are uh, native English speakers because we don't have masculine and feminine or uh, or, you know, in German, they have uh, uh, masculine, feminine and neutral. Uh, uh, you know, there it's uh, instead of uh, just just having the word the or the word or a anything is right. un or un. Uh, and, and so so that would it would change. Uh, um, how, how, how those things are uh, pronounced, I suppose. Do you think that the E means like masculine? Do you think that's what the difference is? Like, I, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm just curious. I, I have no idea. I, I unfortunately have, um, have a, uh, uh, a degree in history. And, <laughs> and so, so um, I, I could, I could talk to you about, um, about some French history, but uh, as far as uh, uh, why there's uh, an E after it, yeah, or, yeah, why there's an E or join the rest e. of the world. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, when you're processing the fruit, you talked about how it's super tiny clusters, and mm -hmm. you know, on the vine there's openings so the air can go through. So mm -hmm. whatever. But when you're ready to harvest, what are you basically looking for in terms of this is the time to harvest? You know, what are you looking for phenologically and physiologically in that grape for you to determine, okay, it's time for us to harvest. Sure. When, when it, when it is harvest season, uh, as you know, it, it's kind of a, a, uh, it, it's a, a flood of information coming to you all at once because we, we grow, um, 11 or 12 varietals here. Uh, we grow enough varietals that I'm not exactly sure how many varietals that we have. Um, <laughs> and, and, and that could be a challenge, especially when, you know, not only are, are you looking at something early in the season like Chardonnay, you also have, you know, Chardonnay that you're picking for sparkling and you have Chardonnay that you're picking for um, barrel ferment or steel ferment. You're picking Chardonnay for clients. 
And so there's, there's a lot of different parameters for all of these different things. We do, uh, we do make four different Chardonnays. We only make one Petit Mansang. So, so that is, that is a challenge, but it's, it's also, uh, it also simplifies things a lot. Um, when, when you are looking at, at ripening, um, uh, any any kind of fruit, or if you know whether it's in your garden, or if you're looking at uh, a vineyard, you know earlier as as uh, as things are progressing uh, post veraison, and uh, for for any viewers who don't know, veraison is when the berries turn from kind of a a bright lime green and they're really hard. They they start to soften up and they'll change to whatever their their ultimate color would be. Whether it's a white, it'll turn kind of a translucent yellow. Um, if it is, um, uh, if it's a red or a black grape, it'll, it'll, it'll change to, to that color as well. Um, so post raisin, you're starting to look at, uh, your, your sugars start to accumulate and your acidity starts to drop out. So if you wait till tomorrow or you wait till next week, you are going to sacrifice some of your acid, um, for some, for some sugar. And so it's really important to, to keep that in mind. Now, obviously, if if your if your pH is way too low, uh, that that yeast can't ferment, or or the taste would be terrible. You know, there, there's not a decision to be made there. Sometimes you you look at the numbers and you say, oh, we're a week out, we're two weeks out, uh, and 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 so th those are more easy. With with petite men saying, uh, sometimes you don't have to say, oh, I I want to wait until we get to 23 bricks. And we're not going to have any acid left, but we, we we can we can change that in in the in the in the uh, in the winery. Or oh, I don't know that this is going to actually accumulate enough sugar, so maybe we have to think about what style th these grapes need to be made into. Uh, you just you'd never have that issue with with Petit Mansang. It always gets you as much sugar as you would possibly want, and more acid than you'll ever need. And um, so, so some of that, you know, you, you just um, uh, rather than sacrificing one for the other, you have to say, this is a time when we don't have too much of either of those things. And, um, and then, then you have to think accordingly, uh, you have to act accordingly when, when you're processing it in, in the winery. So if there's, if the pH is too low, you could crush into stem, leave it on the skins. Um, as you extract things from the skin, you will get more aromatics. You'll get some texture. Uh, your color will get darker, but you'll also start to raise your pH. And maybe that is something you want in this varietal. Uh, it's not particularly something you would be looking to do with most of your red grapes. They already will have a high pH uh, or other, um, you know, Viognier. Viognier uh, is sometimes blended with uh, Petit Mansang. They're both very aromatic, but uh, one has... Uh, really great acid, uh, and one has really terrible acid. Viognier is not known for having right. big big acidity, so um, so th they they can complement each other pretty well. So so I don't know that that there's um, uh, it, it's a very different spot when you're trying to make your your decisions for harvest, and then on top of all that, even in perfect conditions, uh, it's a hard decision to make. But sometimes you have to say. Um, is my crew available to pick? Right. Um, is there a hurricane coming up the host? Right. You know, this stuff grows really well in southwestern France, um, uh, kind of close to Spain or towards Bordeaux or southern France. 
if you go 500 miles south of there, you're in the Sahara Desert. If you go 500 miles south of here, you're in the Gulf of Mexico. And that, that creates two very, very different conditions for uh, not only growing the grapes themselves, but also uh, your harvest seasons can, can look very, very different. And the winds and everything. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. That is something that we always have here in the valley. Um, especially at these higher altitudes, you you get wind all the time, and that that too is a real double-edged sword. You can uh, it helps keep your grapes dry, it helps keep things nice and clean, uh, but sometimes it can also be be fairly damaging to uh, to a um, or to your roof or you know all sorts of things. <laughs> so, for someone who has never had Petite Mansing, um, can you compare it to another variety that they might be familiar with? Compare or contrast, like for example, like I say, if you don't if you don't like Chardonnay, try Godello. But even if you like Chardonnay, try Godello. I yeah. I use those two in a compare or contrast. Sure, I I I think that uh, you should try all of the grapes and uh, and just really explore and, and find out what you like. I think that Petite Man saying, as I was saying earlier. It is such a complex um, wine that is so full of so many things happening that um, it, it, it can be really fun and exciting, both for a connoisseur as well as somebody who is very, very, very new to wine. You know, when when I first started getting into wine, uh, when I was younger, I was I was always much more of a beer drinker. I didn't really care about wine. It was not of much interest to me. Um, uh, but but of all the grape varietals out there, uh, the one that really grabbed my attention uh, was Traminette, which is a mm -hmm. hybrid of Gewürztraminer. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there are some really beautiful Gewürztraminers out there. But the thing that just really got me was that it wasn't subtle. It was there was a lot happening and it just really grabs your attention. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then I moved from there into more more subtle varietals, even more neutral grapes um, that kind of show more the hand of the winemaker or, or show the site that it comes from that, that I think are really exciting. Uh, to me, Petit Mansang is just, just a ton of fun. Um, just, just for everybody. It's uh, it's, it's a, it's a fun one to produce. It is very challenging, but, but, um, but in the glass, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely, definitely a, a fun varietal for, for everybody. I, as for, for what, what, uh, what varietals would I compare it to? I, I don't really have a very good one. Although somebody one time, uh, made a comment that in, in a lot of ways, it's kind of like a high octane Riesling. And so what, what they meant by that was, uh, as I said earlier, just tons of acid. And so because of that, even a little bit of residual sugar, you know, you might not even notice it very much. Um, uh, now, I, I, I haven't had a lot of Rieslings that are 14.7% alcohol, but at the same time, it, really big aromatics, um, it's, it's, Riesling is, there's nothing neutral about it. Um, you know, a, a, lot of, a lot of big flavors and a big aromas that, that can come out at you. Um, and so, so if you like Riesling um, and wouldn't mind something that's, that's uh, even bigger and uh, uh, maybe more assertive, uh, this this might be might be something for you. I think that's a good comparison too, because as you were saying, you can make this in all sweetness levels. It can be very dry, and it can just go go up the line um, with residual sugar, and then you have that acidity balance. So you might not even know it is one percent 
residual sugar because it's so high in, in acidity, yeah. it balances it out. And that's very similar to, to Riesling. Absolutely. You know, this, this uh, bottling, the 21, I would call more of like a demi-sec. It's, okay. it's something that's, that's got some, it, it would be a, a really nice table wine or, or a wine to have with dinner. Um, uh, dry, dry wines uh, can also be very, very big and, and beautiful as well. And, and then you can also have uh, dessert wines. And here, here in Virginia, uh, two of the most common ways to make dessert wines. Um, we don't do ice wine the way they do it in uh, in uh, New York or in uh, Ontario. Uh, instead, we, we, we pick it at optimal ripeness and then we, we freeze it and then uh, mm -hmm. make, make it uh, with some frozen grapes. Uh, the other way to do it that uh, we, we did it for the first time this year, and I know others, were, this is not an original thing, uh, but you, you take your grapes and you leave them in their lugs and you put them in a tobacco barn. And a tobacco barn is a, a big drying shed that has a fan and a heating element and uh, a dehumidifier so that it makes uh, the space really, really dry. And you come back, um, you know, a day later and it's, you know, one degree bricks higher and then like, a week later, it's like 10 bricks higher. And so then you're, you, you are working with berries that instead of 25% sugar, they're at 35 or 40% sugar. Uh -huh. And when you, when you process those, not only does it concentrate that sugar, it concentrates all of the flavors and all of the aromas and all of the acids too. And so it can, it can make a, a really beautiful after, after dinner drink. Um, something that if, if I were having it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pair it with a dessert at all. I would let it be the dessert. Okay. If, if you if you absolutely require food, have some cheese and some some almonds with it, and that's enough. almost like an amaroni style. Um. So so. Yeah. The drying. Uh, yeah, yes. Yes. Um. Uh -huh. I would say more like a von pie, where okay. you are um, uh, you're you're dehydrating, but the point is still to make a uh. You, you take it far farther than an amaroni. Um, in that Amarone, I, I don't believe the grapes would get to quite the same level of sugar. Okay. Um, and you wouldn't, you certainly wouldn't have that level of residual sugar in the finished product. Okay. Yeah. And so we talked about in the vineyard, but when you're processing uh, petite mansang, uh, and once it's, when it's aging, are there any concerns there? Like, is it prone to reductiveness? Is it, you know, I, I find a lot of very aromatic uh, wines are wonderful, you know, upon opening or whatever, but they lose their aromatics very quickly. It's not like a wine that can hang out for a while, you know. Mm -hmm. um, is there any concerns in the processing and in the aging of petite mensang that we need to be concerned with or pay attention to? So I, I've had I've had petite mensangs that have been open for several days and 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 they they still have some pretty good verve to them. They, uh, you know, we make our petite mensang in a pretty oxidative style. So when okay. we when we press everything out or you know now that we 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 don't crush but we do to stem so that we're able to get more juice out. We 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 don't use uh, dry ice in the in the press pan. We. Uh, you know, we'll put some CO2 in the tank so that it doesn't just sit there and oxidize while it's while the juice is settling. Uh, but once the juice is settled, we we move uh, uh, we, we move that juice to barrels, and we don't we don't fill those barrels up with CO2 first. They they kind of 
they're introduced to oxygen uh, in a fairly passive manner. Like a micro, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Almost like a micro oxygenation. Um, well, no, you're, you're, you're not, you're not doing like a micro ox sort of situation where you are giving like a, a measured dose of, of oxygen to a wine to help soften it. Uh, I just mean that we're, we're just kind of letting, Oh, you're just putting it in the barrel. Okay. Yeah. You got it. You got it. Um, but, but then, you know, you, you are fermenting in, in a, in a porous vessel. And then you are aging that wine in a porous vessel for, you know, usually until uh, the following summer. And so you, you have to pull out the bong and add a liter of, of white wine every month. And so, so it is exposed to oxygen throughout its life. And uh, uh, so, so I guess in that barrel, it is getting some, some micro ox, but, but yeah, it's, um, um, it, it's not, it's not a wine that, that even after a couple of days has, has, really fallen too flat uh, in my book, uh, okay. typically speaking. But, but yeah, that, that can be a concern uh, uh, depending on, on the style you're, you're doing with, with other varietals. Uh, I will also say some people uh, make uh, kind of lean into that, that um, tropical punch style uh, a, a bit more than we do. And, and maybe they do theirs all in uh, stainless steel. Um, and, and so that, that might be more of a concern there. What kind of food would you pair with uh, Petit Mansing? And what is your favorite? Uh, so I really love pate with it. Mm -hmm. I, I just really love like aromatic whites and and some uh, and some fat meats. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think that goes really well. Uh, you know, one of the challenges to, um, to a wine like this is that because it is not a, a subtle um, wine that, that has lots of... Um, a lot of space to, to work with other things. It, it, it can be it can be a challenge to pair, similar to Viognier, but with um, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I I I I've track. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like Viognier does not have a lot of acidity, and so with the uh, with a wine like this, acid is your friend when you're looking for a, a good food pair. Um, uh, it's one of the reasons that that sparkling wine seems to go with everything mm -hmm. that that not, not only does it is it picked early and it still has some fresh acid to it but that that effervescence uh mimics acidity on your palate so it really uh seems to go well with everything uh here um by having that kind of tropical flavor going with something that's fat and and rich like like a pate uh i, I really do do enjoy that or anything that has some good salt to it. Um, so again, you, you could, you could have uh, a number of appetizers like that. And I'm thinking also, um, any, with any residual sugar that have that hint of sweetness. Yeah. Good yep. for, um, something spicy, mm -hmm. you know? Yes. Yeah. So if, if you, if you wanted to have something like this, just like with a Riesling, um, Southeast Asian food would be really great. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, yes. Yeah. So some, some heat in the dish does not always go well with, uh, with a lot of different wines, but for this, I, I, I would, I would say that would almost have kind of a cooling effect to it. Yeah. 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 Great idea. And so talking about Riesling and Viognier, those two grape varieties very much have a wide range of expression depending on mm -hmm. where they're grown. So like, could you compare what you think like your petite mensing would taste like versus 
you know, maybe the, the maybe the ones in, in Arizona that have a different complete profile of soils and stuff. What do you what do you think changes and are you aware of any changes depending on where it's grown and how it's expressed? Sure. You know, I, I think that the, the idea of terroir shows itself a lot in wine and, and it works really well uh, for, for what we do. Um, but, but, you know, even, even like, even your, you know, uh, in, in somebody's neighborhood, somebody, somebody here might grow tomatoes differently than somebody over here. And, and it's not that people are, are being jerks or people are uh, just being, uh, pretentious about their tomatoes. It's just that they're paying attention that that their backyard tastes different than their backyard, and uh, so I would I would say that, that um, like most wines, uh, anything grown in Arizona is certainly going to be different um, than where we are. Uh, I don't I don't think Arizona has been hit with any hurricanes lately, um, but but they um, you know you I would those I monsoons would, though. Did they have yeah. the uh, what was it the river? What, the atmospheric river. The atmospheric river. Yeah. The, the, the term of 23 and 24 is atmospheric yeah. river. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but, but you're, you're right. Um, when, when, when you grow things here in the Valley, they taste different than they do uh, on the other side of the Blue Ridge. And so, so I have, uh, I have friends who are, are wine growers here in the Valley that if you go North that you're still in the Valley uh, an hour from here. Um, and I have friends who a half hour from here, if you go east, um, are outside of the valley and their wines taste much farther removed than than those of us who are still here in the same region. Mm -hmm. So the Shenandoah Valley is the largest AVA uh, in, in the state of Virginia. It might be the biggest AVA on the East Coast, but um, uh, it's uh, it's it's the oldest. It's the highest. It's the driest. Um, uh, but anyway. So our, our stuff here tastes different than it does in Charlottesville and Charlottesville is less than an hour away. Um, so, so the way that, that it presents itself here is that we usually have things that are uh, a little bit, um, I wouldn't say delicate because that's, that's not, that's not how I mean. And it's not that uh, they're weaker, but they, they do have um, usually greater acidity um, maybe, maybe not as high of alcohol as you'd find over near Charlottesville. Um, and, and that's just, that's all here in Virginia, you know? And then if you go up to Northern Virginia, they have even lower, uh, elevation. Uh, it's, uh, close to DC and DC has, has a very, very low elevation. Um, you know, we, we've really come to a, a time now that Virginia has shown itself to not be very monolithic. Like there are just so many different areas. And, you know, I, I don't need to, to tell anybody in California about um, uh, how, how, how varied a state can be. But, um, you know, to, to, to look at the East Coast and West Coast, uh, um, the American Southwest, which I was, I was really fortunate. My, my son and my wife and I got to go on an RV trip to, to Zion down to the Grand Canyon. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, it was really cool. But but yeah, Arizona is a very, very, very different place than, than here. And so uh, I would I would love to try uh, some of those wines. Um, my wife and I did get to go to California and, uh, um, uh, a few months before the pandemic. And uh, my my former assistant got a job in San Luis Obispo. And so oh. I went to go visit him. 
and uh, and you know uh, obviously see all the other wineries in the area. And so we we brought a case of wine out just to kind of share with with other winemakers and, and whoever. And uh, the one the ones that everybody was most interested in was was Petite Mansang because um, while we were out there, the only place <laughs> that I, I found Petite Mansang was at Topless Creek. Okay. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. he would he would have it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so how popular? Yeah, they do they do they do a lot there. <laughs> how popular is Petite Mansang in Virginia? I I think very 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 popular. Yeah. Yeah. So. Like like some other grape varietals like Cabernet Franc, uh, Petit Verdot, um, Viognier. I, I, I think if you just if you just went to a place that didn't enjoy a wine region the way that Virginia has, um, th those those grapes might not be uh, as familiar to to a lot of uh, everyday wine drinkers. Just people who who just drink wine at the grocery for, that they get from the grocery store or maybe maybe from um, a, a local shop. Um, but here in Virginia, th those all mean something and people ask for them by name. And, and I think that you do get a certain uh, amount of traction for Petit Man saying people are pretty excited about it. Uh, and people are excited to try not only uh, Petit Man saying from here, but they, they, they always ask for it at different wineries. And so, so that way they're able to say they have favorites, styles that they prefer. Um, and, and I think it's a really cool thing. You know, it's, it's not just, you know, oh, I love Chardonnay and I hate Chardonnay. It's, right. it's, it's, it's people looking for, um, you know, grapes that um, uh, wine professionals are discussing. How is it pronounced? Um, right. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, uh, and, and they're, they're still, they're still um, interested in exploring it more. And I think that, that that's fun. It's, it's not like we have gotten to, to a place where we're like, this is our identity and this is, right. this is it. You know, if, if you go to Bordeaux, it's, it's really fun, but like, I, I sure hope you like Merlot. Um, <laughs> oh, you like Cab? That's on the other side, but that's it. <laughs> yeah. um, nobody's doing, um, just growing whatever they want. And right. here in Virginia, we still have that. And, mm -hmm. and I think that that's, that's really cool. And how much petite mincing do you have under vine? We've got one acre. One acre. That's it. That's out it. of yeah. out of how many? We are we are currently managing twenty seven acres. Oh, oh, yeah. About about twenty acres of it is our own. Um, uh, every once in a while, you'll have somebody who will come to you and they'll say, uh, we, "We might be interested in starting a vineyard, or they might be interested in starting a winery." And uh, we always ask them right up front, "Do you want us to talk you into this or out of it?" Because <laughs> we'll do we'll do either, either one of way, those yes. really really well. I can I can really talk you into it or out of it. And so we we've had um, two friends and neighbors who uh, were really interested in, in having a vineyard. So uh, with when, if that's the case, we said we'll help you with it. And so um, so we we managed some some muscat and some vidal for one neighbor, and another has. Um, uh, Merlot and Petit Verdot, uh, and we also have um, neighbors that we 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 do uh, custom crush for, where they bring us fruit and we make it into wine. I'm sorry, it's it's called contract winemaking in Virginia. It's not custom <laughs> crush. You gotta gotta make sure you're not engaging in custom crush. It's a different okay, thing. different thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And and besides Tablas Creek, do you know anywhere else where it's grown beside Virginia? Uh, I I think that there are some producers both in. Um, um, uh, North Carolina, as well as Maryland, 
that I, I've heard of, um, but I, 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 I would, I would not want to start naming them in case that I'm no. wrong on, on who's That's doing them. No, fair enough. Fair enough. But, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, it's, it's not, it's not a super widely planned thing. Mm-hmm. If, if you went online and, and started searching uh, uh, databases of, of distributors, I don't think you'd find a lot in people's portfolios. Mm-hmm. Um, but here in Virginia, it, it is like the, like the local thing that you asked for Mm -hmm. very cool very cool and so you talked a little bit about it um when you were talking about the acidity uh how the yeast are coming in and they're having a tough time with with that and the acid uh, the sugar levels they going out it's mostly seen petite mincing you see it as a sweet or a liquor like uh wine uh do you think it's just because of the processing or you think that that little bit of sugar in there helps tame some of those, you know, I, I have not tasted it, but in my head, I've got like that, I, that cartoon character that's got like the hair sticking up or whatever of like acid on this wine. Um, yeah. I could be completely wrong, but um why why is it mostly a sweet wine? I, I, I think I think that the answer to that is kind of kind of two pronged. Uh, the the first is that that yeah, some, sometimes the wine will decide what it's going to do. And you, you you know we we study and we we read and we we try to learn, you know, uh, as much as we can about the winemaking process, and then we get our one chance to do it every year and we we employ all those. Uh, uh, things that we've learned and, um, you know, it, it, yeast giving up on you could be a ton of things. Maybe they, they don't like the environment. Maybe they're not getting enough air. Maybe it's too cold. Maybe it's too hot, which can also happen. Um, it could be too much acidity, uh, maybe not enough nitrogen, or maybe the nitrogen source that you're giving it if, uh, is, isn't, is, is, is the wrong kind of nitrogen. I mean, somebody once said that grapevines are kind of like people, like they're, they're wildly strong and resilient and incredibly fragile at the same time. Like somebody can fall out of an airplane and somehow survive and somebody else has an abscess tooth and then they're dead in a week. And um, same thing for, for grapes and same thing for yeast. You know, sometimes they can be really fickle. Uh, but, but, you know, I think that, that given kind of the one-two punch of there's too much sugar here and there's too much acid, like those, those two things together can be the biggest challenge to fermenting to a fully dry. Um, and you can, you can harvest your grapes early so that you don't have so much sugar. But then you also, your flavors aren't quite as developed right. and you also have even more acid. So, so that can be a challenge. You know, I, um, you, you can get fruit in California easily that gets to 25 bricks or much higher. Um, but it probably doesn't have a pH of 3.05, right. um, which is, which is tart. That is really tart stuff. And, uh, and so, so that, that can be a little overwhelming for, for yeast, yeah. but, but it, it does, it does seem to work out in the glass. <laughs> Do you think you'll plant more petite mansing? Uh, if, uh, if, 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 um, if, if enough people uh, buy uh, Petit Mansang and we are running out of it year after year, sure, sure. Okay. I, I, I would love to. I love working with it. It is, um, 
It is right outside of our house. It is the, the nearest vine to our front door is a petite man saying. Um, it's flat on one side of the uh, of our block and the other uh, side of it kind of makes a big curve around my wife's garden and our chicken house. So um, uh, so so sometimes we let the, the birds free range and uh, and they always like to go out to the to the petite man saying and start eating them and I have to go chase them off and get them. <laughs> to go back to the garden and start eating whatever my wife is growing. <laughs> so, so, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's great. We, we, we love it here. Um, we, 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 we do seem to have enough demand for it. It's, it's something that, um, that we, we want to see if, if enough people are, are buying it that we, that we run out, then we would, we would, we would be interested in planting more. I think that's true for almost all of our varietals. And do you have room for expansion on your property or with that you would need to? Right now we have some. Okay. We've, we've probably, we've probably got five acres left okay. that we could plant. Okay. Um, but at the same, at the same time, you know, if, if uh, you know, I, I don't know, that, I don't know that we're looking to plant anything new, but, mm -hmm. but if we were going to uh, expand anything, uh, uh, we, we do have some space to, to, to expand um, what, what we're already working mm -hmm. with. And before we let you go, we just wanted to, like, is there anything that we <clears throat> forgot to ask about Petite Mensang or things that you, you know, you want our listeners to remember? You know, if you forget everything else in the world, what are you going to remember about Petite Mensang? I, I think we've covered Petite Mensang pretty well. I, I I would say about me personally and, and working with something like this, you know, where do you learn about about Petite Man Sang. And, and Petite Man Sang is tough because, you know, you don't have uh, a, a global community of people who, who grow it. You know, if, if I have questions about Chardonnay, Google will tell me anything sure. I want to know. Uh, same thing with Merlot or Cabernet, but this is something that, that is, is um, uh, pretty niche, uh, pretty niche um, uh, wine to be working with. And so, so because of that, it's really amazing to be uh, a part of the Virginia winemaking community that, that we are a part of. Um, you know, if I have questions about how, how do you make it or how do you grow it or like what are, what are you looking for? Um, you know, I, I know somebody who, who's making this into a sparkling wine. I wouldn't even know where to begin to, to work with something like this. To, to, to make a product like that. You know, I, 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 I think it's enough of a challenge just to be uh, making a still wine. And I love sparkling wine. I love producing it. I love, I would drink it every day. Um, but, but that is, that is some real tightrope walking stuff there. But, but because I'm part of this industry, I get to have those conversations with people, um, you know, and, and then specifically here in the Valley, uh, we have our own set of uh, challenges and, and things that we, we can do really well or, or things that, um, that come up every year and we have to figure out how to work around. And so, so because of that, I, I don't know of, of, of other industries that, that, that are so tight-knit and uh, who, who really uh, live every day with the rising tides, lift all boats sort of mentality that Virginia and the Shenandoah Valley does. It's just, it's a really awesome world to be a part of. And so because of that, I'm able to work with something really fun like Petit Men saying. Great. So where can people find you? Where can people find Bluestone Vineyards online, social media? How about if they wanna come visit? 
Yeah, yeah. So, so we are in Rockingham County, which is in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. Uh, there are actually uh, two Shenandoah Valley, um, uh, Shenandoah Valleys in in the United States. One's in California. One is here. Uh, um, and so uh, there was actually kind of a, a, a legal battle over the name, and uh, the courts decided that we are the Shenandoah Valley AVA, and they, uh, California is just the Shenandoah AVA. So be sure to, to look for Shenandoah Valley AVA. Um, uh, online, we are at bluestonevineyard.com. We are also, uh, there's a Bluestone, um, a Bluestone Vineyard uh, Instagram and uh, Facebook page. Uh, if you want to follow just what I do and you're, you're just interested in the production side of things, of uh, turning uh, dirt into grapes and grapes into wine, you can follow me. Um, my Facebook page is Lee, comma, winemaker uh, on Facebook. So um, that's 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 mostly like pictures of, of things that are actually happening uh, before bottling. If you if you're interested in uh, stuff happening after bottling, uh, Bluestone uh, ha has has all that stuff taken care of as well. Awesome. Fantastic. And um, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. Yeah. Uh, on this nice, uh, what are we in? We're in February these days. Um, yes. yes. <laughs> February day. Well, it's, it's tough. You know, we're having spring weather here, you know, daffodils. We, are coming. we, um, we, we've had some warm weather lately, but today is a really nice drizzly day, a perfect yeah. day to uh, hang out on a, uh, on a, uh, a, a, a discussion online and uh, drink some wine. There you go. Yeah, it is. A, it is a perfect day for that. But I, and, I'll be drinking know. in a little bit of time. It's it's only eleven. You know, it's a little after eleven. I gotta you know recover a bit from yesterday, and then I'll start again. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. And thank you so um, much. Hopefully, well, I'll get down guys. there. I'll get down there um, later on this fall, and you know, come knocking on your door. Awesome. Well, if you do, please do reach out. I'd love to show you around. That'd be awesome. I will. I will. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks, we'll see you. Bye-bye. This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoyt Bud. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter at exploringthewineglass.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Podcast music is Wine by Keevans. Until next week, slancha. <laughs>